0: I always say that um, a good cook can um, cook on any equipment. So I think mastering your own equipment is more important than choosing the, the brand. Maybe sure. lowering is a difference because it's like completely different technology. But if you look at the um, conventional drum roasters, I feel like you need to understand what you're doing with it.
1: Welcome to or welcome back to Coffee with April. My name is Patrick Rolf and this is a conversation with some amazing professionals and entrepreneurs in the coffee industry, sharing their perspective and experience. It's about integrity, quality and the future. When we decided to start this podcast, I knew right from the start that we had to include Ralph, founder of the barn in berlin so we went down there we had a sit down in what is about to be his new coffee shop um an absolutely amazing discussion about his journey personally as an entrepreneur and also how the barn established themselves as one of the most successful specialty coffee brand in the industry so this time i'm sitting in berlin um basically on the floor in what is about to become the new The Barn coffee shop down in, uh, is that Neukölln or Kreuzberg? It's just in Neukölln. Just in Neukölln. And I'm sitting here with Ralph, the founder of The Barn, which is, is really exciting. Um, we have the Berlin Coffee Festival coming up, which is why I'm here. Uh, Ralph has just returned from a trip to Brazil. Uh, we're both a bit sick, but... Uh, this is going to be a really interesting uh, uh, conversation. Let's let's start with where we are. So we're sitting in what is about to become your new shop. It's four four weeks in the making. Yeah, hopefully. Yes. Um, what's the uh, What's the thought process behind the shop? Why another shop? Yeah. Uh, how do you want to make this different than than the other shops?
0: Yeah. Um, so we are on Friedelstrasse near the canal and. I, to me, is one of the most beautiful um, streets in Neukölln, Kreuzberg. At least something where I go back to a lot, also because it's I think the best ice cream shop across the road. Oh yeah, it helps. Um, yeah, I mean this will be shop number four, which sounds weird, and I think it's like a family where you feel you don't really plan another baby, and suddenly there's one. Um, so we didn't really plan to to have another shop, but the opportunity came up and someone was guiding me into the space and I fell in love with it. It has like huge windows, a big pavement and like I said, the um, uh, ice cream shop across uh, the road. A lot of my baristas um, are living in this area and a lot of people that come to us to Mitte um, for coffee they live here it's a, the area had great development over the last years and so I felt right um, to, um, to, to, to have a little shop here we want to keep it very simple and innocent and just produce good coffee
1: yeah amazing how is it because I obviously lived in, in Berlin for a while as well and I spent a lot of time drinking coffee at your shops and uh, uh, we're down for the opening at the Kanslauer as well which is out in the west um, how, how difficult is it to open new shops? Especially when I started this podcast, the, the, the kind of foundation, and still is now, is to talk about integrity, to talk with, with brands that have a very clear integrity. And you can't do a coffee podcast about integrity without having the barn included in it. Because um, oh, yeah. uh, uh, there is a lot of it, right? Oh. And I feel that every single shop has has a specific identity and how does that process work is that simply organic you see the space and you realize what you want to do or has that been a long kind of process where you decide okay i want this kind of shop and all this kind of shop and this kind of shop uh
0: no it's more intuitive i think maybe going back 10 years when i moved to berlin um and and worked for my boyfriend in a in a delicatess like lunch place and was doing dishes and learning hospitality and falling in love with it. Um, and then I felt it's time to do my own and then we went to the countryside and I was thinking about what, where do I feel passion and um, it was coffee and fresh cakes and good bread and I felt there was not, no concept around where everything had a value you either had, like, coffee was okay, but, like, get a muffin or great bread and they didn't care about coffee. So it started with that kind of process and then I got obsessed with coffee the moment I started. But every position in the company that exists today, I once had. So I go really step by step and, you know, my main focus is roasting and sourcing and developing farm relationships. And... Um, uh, I always said that um, I only do things when they feel right, the timing is right or the space and also I didn't want to be, I don't want to build a coffee chain with replicas, they should be unique and they should adopt to the building and the neighborhood and so um, people don't feel like they walk into the same shop um, many times so um this one will be very unique and we had a long debate about the color, shall, shall we leave it raw or and when I approach the building it's really light, almost New English, yeah. New England style and big big white windows and so like we just went with that and everything inside will be very, very minimalistic and, mm. and raw but, but but lighter, not with heavy woods uh, and it will be communal because Kreuzberg and Neukölln is particularly... Um, Focused on community yeah. and um, sharing, and um, and the environment, and like a lot of these thoughts were kind of like um, uh, pushed out of this part of Berlin. You know, it's 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 very politically aware, um, and it's very humanistic, if that's a word, and so um, and. Uh, yeah, and we will we will focus on what we are best at and that is just like um, being very serious about the coffee but presenting it in a very approachable way.
1: Mm-hmm. Sure. Where are we for for the people that are listening here that, that don't know this? How's the, the timeline? So you said you you arrive in Berlin, you work in, in, in the kitchen more or less or in yeah. restaurant. Um, when when do you start the bar? When is the first shop open? Two thousand ten, yeah. Two thousand ten, and yeah. that is just a coffee shop then. Yeah, right? and I believe you because you spend a fair amount of time serving Square Mile yes. coffee if I remember that correctly. That's yeah. how you started.
0: Yeah, yeah we started. And uh, coffee collective Tim Wendelbo for filter, so we yeah. rotating filter. Yeah. But our main roster was Square Mile, and it took a while to a couple of months to convince James to sell to us. Okay. he was only selling in this square mile in London. Ah, yeah of course he didn't course. want to send coffee abroad and so on, and, um, but um, yeah, um, so finally he did, and we were really proud that we could get um, their beans. I think they do a like, really, really great job, um, sourcing and roasting, and um, I love the brand and um, what they did for the community mm. in the UK. Yeah, sure. yeah. Uh, so that yeah but um, soon into into that I would say a year into running what we now call the little barn in the yep. gallery district is um, I wanted to roast yep. I felt really that in the long run I I knew um, I you know I, I wanted to be like deeper into the value chain and could, sure. I, I'm a bit of a control freak I think I a lot of people know that, <laughs> uh, so I have love hate relationships. But um, it's uh, I'm always um, trying to be fair around the quality and the things I'm doing, and then I'm also very defensive around that. But mm. with the age, I'm loosening up a little bit. <laughs> but um, the um, yeah, I um, I felt I really wanted to get to know farms.
1: Well, where did the inspiration? Because. Back then, and, and is that roughly 10 years ago?
0: Yeah, eight yeah.
1: yeah. Back then, so many people did not roast coffee, right? So yeah. where did that kind of main inspiration come from? Was it Scrabble in London then? Or did you, have you, had you seen roast trees from other places in Europe that you
0: were inspired by? And I mean, I, I don't know. I, I tend not to look at others. I'm kind of like, I guess, selfish. Probably I, I always try to focus on what I'm doing, sure and of course I'm aware but, of I think is a good thing yeah, yeah I, I, but I know what's going on around me, but I always feel like um, if I look somewhere else, I can't really make myself better, sure. so I'm trying to find that within what I'm doing mm. but um, yeah i I just um, was really interested in the product and not just like brewing it and making it, I just wanted to go like one level. Before and um, and roasted myself, yeah. I felt. Also, there are, there are so many roasteries. There have always been so many roasters It's just like now they are new, a new generation of roasters, But I guess it's like buying a car. You feel like oh I have this car, and but then you see like oh there's another one, there's another one. So if you start like digging, there there have always been like many many roasteries in Berlin. Yeah, it's sure. just like now we have. A lot of foreigners doing it, yeah. um, people are gladly buying better beans sure. than yes. others, and there's a new market and a new niche growing really fast, mm. um, but um, yeah, I think I just wanted to learn more, yeah. and yeah, you, sure. you learn best when you do it yourself, I think.
1: Definitely. Yeah. So you set up, you set up the roastery, and, and with that, uh, the bigger coffee shop as well. How many years after the, the small shop was that?
0: Yeah, so 2010, I opened the little barn, and then two years later, I opened the roastery yeah. with the front cafe. Sure. And it, it took a while um, to find that space because Mitte got more and more expensive, and I didn't want to do something in, in Kreuzberg and then cross town every time I want to go to my sure. shop yeah. and so on. So I wanted to keep it all in one area. Yeah. So it took a little bit longer, but we found this... Space that was not renovated, so we cut a good deal. We have get good, good landlords, actually, like a film company, okay. and they um, they um, they are very open to kind of foster startups and have like um, price points that are not outrageous. So and they wanted to have good coffee in the basement. Yeah. So that was 2012, and looking back, that that was the hardest period, I guess, in my life. Um, Assuming I can start roasting Which takes years Well, I mean, where,
1: where did you Because I, I, I struggled with that When, when I started People still struggle with that today How did you learn how to roast coffee?
0: By doing, yeah
1: Just by doing
0: yeah. yeah, I have to say I never went to university I'm always been I started working when I was 15 uh-huh. So I always learned from others I'm always best in a class context I don't sure. like reading books I'd rather go or listen to a podcast or go somewhere where people share knowledge. For me, like to see things and to learn from people that I admire, Um, uh, that's for sure. Um, And and in that case, um, my international alliances that I've been building in the two years prior to roasting helped very much like Square Mile and Tim... Uh, were extremely helpful um, yeah. coming over um, coaching me yeah. roasting with me but also sending samples and get feedback and it's good if people throw something in your face and say like don't give me naturals <laughs> you know and it's <laughs> 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 so, like you learn about fermentation yeah, sure. and things yeah. like that yeah. Um, so yeah um, uh, so they were very helpful and yeah. running two cafes also helps and using the coffee, yeah. um, so not so much cost to waste. But I remember James said, are you sure you want to do this? You know, producing a kilo of our quality costs you so much more if you don't back it up with a business. So yeah. I guess you need to think a little bit bigger. There's so much money going into traveling, sure. um, into profiling um, and um, marketing and so on and reaching out to people that actually if you are not really 100% sure I'd rather buy from a great roaster um, unless the quality level is not so important for my shop concept. I mean, it's a big market and of people course, have sure. different ideas what they want for their shop. Um, but uh, I think for me, I... I felt um, the mid-market already exists. Why should I replicate that? And so for me, it was very clear from the beginning, I have to push quality as far as I can. Mm. Not in rarities, but in like high quality from the field that I can roast in production and make it accessible. And, um, and so that's also the reason why we didn't blend and um, why we... Kind of opted to grow slower. No. Um, a lot of people opening roasteries, they start serving the mid market to get volume under sure. their belts. So, and it's understandable. And but um, I made the decision not to do that. Yeah. And um, because I felt it's already there, and then it's just price competition and branding, and branding is. Sometimes like a disco, you know, you have a new disco in town and then two years later they go to the new disco and, and then they find a new disco. So I think this to build this brand loyalty through integrity and quality yeah. is lasting. And these are the shops also when you think about the general market and, and, um, and not only coffee, but um, I really like going back to like really old like restaurants or um, fish and ship shop in London or so and you go like wow this has been here for 100 years and they're still doing this the same way isn't that great and so I feel also a little bit stubborn about my packaging because I I really feel that um, this is also like something where people recognize my brand and there was a thought process going into this earthy paper connecting to the fields and um, and I know that um, for instance with like a more shiny packaging with color coding and this and that I could probably sell a lot more retail bags but I also feel that I kind of like want to stick to some of the things that I felt they're okay yeah you know?
1: I mean it's, it's one of the I- most iconic coffee bags I think and it's, it's interesting now because there was a time where a lot of people did this earthy craft paper right but Today they don't. Yeah. So that makes your bag extremely unique.
0: I feel it's, so too, it's, yeah, it's it's, went, yeah. you know,
1: it, it all goes in cycles, right? Before yeah, I'm yeah. Bag, everything is white now. April is white as well. Yeah. Um, at a certain time it will stop being white and then all of a sudden the, the people that remain white is going to be
0: gonna the one I Yes, I think um, so. I always yeah. loved uh, Stom Town's bag. I was... Crying like when I saw the new bag, I'm really when sorry. People hear thing. this, but like I <laughs> always <laughs> loved Town and the debate that they don't have a wall and the love like yeah, yeah, it just looked right. Yeah, and I mean, now it, it looks modern. Yeah. yeah,
1: for sure. And now the bag, I think they well they're, they're custom printing every bag now, right, individually. So there's no stamps and there's no nothing. Yeah, mm. just, um,
0: yeah. I'm sure it works really well and it, it looks good, but like the. The one before was so much
1: better to me. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and I think that, I think it's important because there's there's more value than than visual content in terms of branding, right? There, yeah. There's and I think people forget that sometimes, right? Yeah. we're definitely in an age now where it's it's so much about how, how it looks. Uh, we don't. It's, it's the same as you referenced before with um, I mean, James asking you, do you really want to start to roast? which is interesting because if you look at a lot of coffee shops today that wants to roast, they don't realize that their coffee cost is actually going to go up. Yeah. It's not going to go down. Yeah. Unless you have a roastery doing 30, 50 tons of coffee a year, right? Yeah. Which most of them, most of them actually don't have, right? So, yeah. um, it's this um, an ability to actually look below the surface yeah. in that sense and see, see what is actually there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so.
1: You started to you did start to roast on a probat. Yes. And I've
0: always been a probat yeah. ever since. Was there a specific reason behind yeah. working on a probat, Tim? It didn't make... It made sense at the time. Ah. I felt Tim and James were roasting on the same machine, and I felt Definitely. like, oh, f- um, so then it's easier to communicate. And the moment I started, I felt like, fuck it. It's... it's You can never compare. They're in a different country. They have dif- the burners are in a different position. They have different airflow they have a different approach you develop your own signature in roasting and then um, when you lose your instant insecurities you know you, um, you find your direction and, 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 and then evolve and then it's not related at all yeah but uh, ProBat is from my home area which oh, I didn't know okay so I feel also like a lot of things are coming back to me you yeah. know my mother's cakes I had a period in my life in Japan and then Hario was there and was like, isn't this crazy, this Hario is in coffee and I'm using this. <laughs> yeah. And and, and ProBot wow. as well. They have 150 years uh, in a couple of weeks. Oh, and yeah, so there's like a big event over there. Yeah, you're going over. Of course you are. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, sure. I can visit my family and so on. Yeah. Like, um, so, I mean, I always say that um, a good cook can... Um, Cook on any equipment so I think mastering your own equipment is more important than choosing the the brand maybe sure. lowering is a difference because it's like completely different technology but if you look at the um, conventional drum roasters yeah. I feel like you know it doesn't matter so much it, you need to understand what you're doing with it sure so Definitely. Um, yeah yeah so Probot works really well, and we have a new um, new build, like petrol. Yeah, and, um, yeah. It's the, it's the twenty twenty two. Yeah, sure, yeah. sure. And yeah, we have really strong burners. We have airflow control now. We don't have to run around the drum yeah. and change the latch. We can change that electronically sure. and the drum speed and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, green coffee. Yeah. Green coffee is obviously very important to you yes i think that's something that one of the the strongest things that that anyone can see from the outside looking looking at the park. tell us tell us how you guys work with uh, green coffee how you how you started there's a lot of roasters when they start uh any kind of company when they start that have a difficulty finding suppliers right how do you actually set up proper green coffee how do you make sure it's um, it's it's always tasty green coffee. What's sustainable, not sustainable? Uh, how do you guys work, work with green coffee?
0: Yeah, I mean, we started with a Nordic approach um, because I felt very strongly, and I still do, that um, Tim and Morten and Joanna and all the people around them uh, were kind of like following Tim's steps of um, connecting to farms, working with them, but Tim couldn't take so much volume, so they moved containers and they started selling greens, mm. which makes a lot of sense. And so I felt I'm kind of like buying into that process when I buy from them, and so I fully trust that they do that. Mm. Um, it's really important for us to buy from farms that are changing, that are adopting change, and yeah. that we are paying a premium to finance that change. Yeah and we want to be faithful and return uh, and not go to kiss a different girl the next season you sure. know but uh, depending on their origin it happens yeah. um, sometimes we can't control Kenya is a great example where we for the first year now changed and have exclusive farm relationships um, which is what every tree at a certain point wants to have coffees that sure. no one else has because yeah. it's a very competitive market and I understand all that it's also like then taking a risk of putting the money where your mouth is. Yeah. And then I don't have a blend and I don't have a pipeline yeah, for if it. things go wrong. So it's kind of, um, I always think in a triangle. I feel I never feel like I'm, we don't trade direct. We, yeah. I visit farms, I say hello, yeah. I show them the bag, I promote them, I need the story and the relationship. But the most important person, I think, is the person on the ground, a strong exporter, like FAF, for instance, in Brazil, that are um, helping the farmers to get better, to build the relationship, to visit every week during harvest, um, to have an agronomist, to do experiments, to push the level, to cup with them, teach them how to cup. Um, the sorting so they understand really oh this tastes better than this Oh, so this is a different quality oh, that's why I need to pick the ripe ones and so on so um, I for me this is super important but the transparency into that is something I'm working on at the moment mm. I hesitate to um, put numbers on my website a lot of people are doing that because I feel it only makes sense if you really Look at each individual market, sure. and then what is the level at the moment. And you can't change overnight and pay double to a picker. It would lead to unrest in whole neighborhoods and villages. And we saw that in one um, uh, project that Nordic uh, three years ago I had, like one farmer, one roaster, and uh, people around get really angry when suddenly yeah. you single out one farmer and they get rich. Yeah, yeah you sure. know so. Um, more wealthy and so you need to go step by step and need to see that you're integrating the neighborhoods by giving them recycled water or build wells give them work, pay more but then also it's hard to find out what the picker actually gets and then what sticks with the farmer and then what goes into the exporter I, we ask every time and we are getting numbers. And so then every year we verify and we learn. Yeah, sure. you know. And, but there is an intervention from government oftentimes. They are setting price levels. There's competition I just learned in Rwanda where um, people need pickers. So they pay more and then they go and pick for someone else. Because they want, need the chairs for the washing station. Yeah, sure. So that's good. So there's like a competition going on over pickers. I find that interesting. Yeah. For us, we always pay for the quality. So we need the farmer to know if he brings his quality from 85 to 87 points, then this is the premium you're getting. We pay more. So this is thirty percent more, or fifty percent more, hundred percent what, what, more.
1: What's, happen, what, what's happening from from your perspective if the coffee goes from eighty-five to, to eighty-two?
0: Yeah, we can't take it. We can't take it. Yeah. No, that's a problem. That the way I look at it is like we don't walk away. There will be a smaller amount of coffee that's scoring high, and then we take less. Of course. So we stay into the relation in the relationship, but. For instance, the two farms we work in Kenya now—one is called Ivory—and um, um, this year we're sharing this um, uh, uh, with an American roaster, and next year we go exclusive on it. But the the coffee usually ended up in a blend that yeah. you know. They so it's already an improvement to say we take we take A B and uh, P B. Our friends are taking the double A. This is the price. If you're not. Hitting with, like, say, sixty percent is high grades or eighty percent is high grades. Next year's only fifty percent is higher scoring. Then the rest goes yeah. at market. Sure. You know, it's still a fair price for that type of quality, and there will be a taker for it. Yeah. I always feel like um, the I don't know. It's hard to talk about meat these days, but you know, if you um, you know, if you produce, it's really. That uh, may be inappropriate, but like everything of the pig or the cow will be used sure. in the end, you sure. know. So like if you have the product, um, there's a filling, you know, but there's also a market um, for for medium qualities or lower qualities in our view. Yesterday I had we had a big panel uh, on what does specialty coffee mean to me, like coming from a uh, farmer, exporter, importer, roaster, coffee shop owner. And then afterwards, three guys from uh, Cologne came to me and they said, like, yeah, uh, how do we learn scoring? Um, We're getting coffees from this and this and this trader, but we don't really know what it scores, so how can we learn that? And is it okay to work with 82 points? And it's totally fine. It's great that you do that. Someone has to take it. It's decent coffee. Um, Just make sure you know what the farmer gets for it and it's better than what he had before Mm. so I feel like um, it's always like it's a big market and there are many players Um, what I do like and I suggested that to in Brazil this time instead of paying more I want to keep a stable price and then be involved in projects that I can see yeah and I feel like then that's a good way of having tangible effect and by drying beds or a machine they need um, and um, facilities deep pulper and things like that are n- not that expensive. You know, even like 1000 or $2,000 is a lot of money for someone in Brazil, you know, or in Africa you can buy a lot and so I feel if it's more like directed then it's also easier for me to build a relationship because you know it's kind of me you know it's like
1: you know it's more about value as well I think that there's always uh, maybe not a misconception but there's always this discussion where we should just give the farmers more money and then it's always you know in, in our kind of European very idealistic way to look at things the farmer will take all of that money and invest in their own coffee which is not always the case. No. To be to be fair, there's some yeah. that would. There's others that, that mm. wouldn't. Yeah. So I think finding ways to be more consistent yeah. in it and then help out in other ways is a lot more value, right? I've yeah. so seen a lot of roasters that, that do that in a very good, uh, in a good very good way, right? Yeah. And to some extent, the best the best value you can give to a farmer is a way to increase the low level of what they produce, right? Because that's how you increase yeah. the selling price, yeah. Because all farmers produce everything, right? From high and low, yeah. low and high. Yeah. Everything, as you say, gets sold. yeah, And if a bigger portion of the, what they sell is on a higher quality, yeah. then they more money.
0: Yeah. This is why the experiments right now with sugarcane and maceration and so on, are really, I even tasted like greens, like unripe, that are, were palatable Okay. through fermentation. And okay. then... You put it, it will go into like a higher value market. end.
1: Yeah. Um, what is your uh, perspective on? on the, There's obviously a trend with fermentations now, on that kind of stuff. Yeah. There's a lot of people, you know, it's anaerobic fermentations, yeah. there's this and this. There's, a, I have a, a good friend and farmer in Brazil that ferments his coffee with lemongrass. I mean that's that's strange yeah. uh, but it comes out pretty interesting what, what are your thoughts on that or, or the Barnes thoughts on that yeah. you mentioned washed coffees earlier in this conversation yeah. where well, where are you today and how uh-huh. you know is it is it about the quality of the the varietal or are you also interested in, in what the processing can do to
0: change type? yeah I think like my standard answer is I prefer flavors of the field yeah and so the moment sure. they become artificial um, it's interesting but it's not what we want to represent we want to represent terroir and um, or maybe a varietal from Kenya in a different context in Colombia and see how that works or work on soil but I think if I push something into like huba Buba chewing gum taste (laughs) it's great marketing and it's also good to um, get people talking and interested in specialty coffee so I think there's a value in it but it's not me so I feel like I would meet kind of like somewhere in the middle yeah. I just had a cupping uh, in, in Brazil um, at Da Terra I think they're amazing and um, and we will do some work with them um, and they put uh, their pre-selection for the masterpieces on the table they do a big auction um, and they do a lot of that and I had a few coffees I scored 82 and they said no it's 93 yeah, so sure. I was like I'm out it's not my. It's not me. It's funny. It's just like I don't taste uh, the the coffee anymore. So I feel if you push it and if you make it more diverse and complex and more interesting and you like put accentuation on yeah. it, I find it super interesting. But then there's a moment where I say like, "Oh, like super fermented coffees, I'm out." Mm. Like I get a lot of things where people say, "Yeah, this is this and this coffee. I paid so much." It and I find it gross I yeah yeah I, I think it has to be clean for me sure having said we do a lot more naturals and honeys yeah. than ever before but clean ones so the processing gets better
1: yeah sure 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 and I think today that's interesting because that that is improving as well right washing process is improving as well yeah you mentioned brief, briefly, briefly uh, scoring and the kind of disconnect that, that often happens. And I and I'm curious because we see on the on the market now without mentioning any names, but we can have different roasteries having more or less the same coffee and then someone puts a, a ninety four score on oh, yeah. the bag and someone puts an eighty five and Okay. You know, it's is Yeah. Um is that something you, you you care about or
0: I never look what others are putting so I don't know what I do is, I like my, for instance, if I work with Nordic or coffee imports, I ask for their scoring. I want to see how they score. Um, or at Origin, if there's like um, that um, capacity there to score. And so, and then I look at it once I've done my cupping and scoring, and then I compare notes to see. But it's, I think, at buying stage, it's really tricky. I feel. Um, that a lot of green beans are not ready to be roasted when they arrive at Roast freeze. So you go in sure. and then only on one month or two months later you feel like now it's open. I have a coffee right now I'm not so happy with and I discussed it yesterday with a person I bought from and she said like, no Ralph, it's in November, you're too early. <laughs> it will be really sweet in November. So I felt like, yeah, it's true, it's a bit like green apple and I wasn't sure if it's greenish or it's like a taste. And uh, so sometimes I find buying at uh, origin or being a green buyer is a completely different skill set to being a roaster, sure and it doesn't have to, and it's not no shame if a roaster can't capital up or, uh, at origin to really see the potential um, of where the bean goes and so on is like an art, so I'd like always to have like a second opinion also yeah, sure. But if, you know if someone was like a peaberry offers certain coffee and the other process doing the AB or even in Kenya you have pick a different week sometimes you know you I don't know uh, you have one coffee that you like and uh, you go in January and you uh, cup and buy I for instance I always go like beginning of March I prefer I get like the high season coming in yeah. and I feel um, not all, every year but more often I feel like that is more what I like but sometimes the early season is a little bit better so but I've, I feel there's a big difference between week um, 12 and week uh, 16 in Definitely. in Kenya and then it could be I don't know what this other roastery bought it could be a different lot and that cups it was interesting at Daterra they had all their fields yeah segmented like a circle with circles inside and then same varietal same part of the mountain and then they go like okay there's 87 here that's 84 that's 83 uh-huh. and we know that and so we keep this separate
1: okay well, and that, that's based on how how they come <coughs> so different
0: you know what they do they cup every week into harvest oh uh-huh. they process overnight with a mini gadiolia yeah they do everything overnight and they come and they say like next week it's ready Yeah, and they do that it's like uh-huh. a factory yeah and then mechanically but with their yeah. own developed machines it's yeah. super interesting yeah. should go if you haven't been.
1: yeah sure we, we still haven't uh, we're currently not working with Brazilian coffee at all yeah um, so that's that's something we, we will have to look into for sure
0: I learned so much it's unbelievable
1: yeah sure the, the, the interesting thing with especially with persoas that they're so experienced and there is to some extent at least in relationship to other countries there's money in it right whereas the farmers actually have the ability to do testing yeah. to do proper farming in that sense so often they know a lot more than, than what other farmers would around the world which is actually a very interesting process yeah, yeah. Do, you, do you have any, um, any favorite coffee
0: any favorite origin in that not, sense? Anymore. not anymore I used to yeah. Used to be Kenya, but I see, I, eat, I, can't say anymore. There's super interesting coffee everywhere, yeah. even in mm-hmm. countries where you feel like, oh, that's not maybe an origin where I should go. And then, I think it's all about like the individual people that are involved making the best out of what they have, and that could be amazing even in India. Yeah, yeah We but, see,
1: we see the new trend now being a lot of, we see Tanzania, we see Congo. Yeah. India, China, Vietnam, we see a lot of different countries now that are kind of starting to enter into the specialties where slowly yeah. but surely
0: yeah. but it's easier and like the setup is already there in certain countries uh, the control I think we as roasters are very vulnerable, do you really get what you cupped, so to have like trustworthy relationships in a functioning infrastructure is probably working in Central America um, really well or Brazil or in African countries yeah. from even in Ethiopia it's now getting a lot more traceable we're working with exclusive plots now we bought and we can visit and then really connect there and um, so it that doesn't disappear anymore somewhere and then, you know you get the coffee and you feel like is this really what I bought it's consistent but it's maybe not 100% of like what I actually like wanted yeah it's and that kind of like starts getting getting a lot better so I, I always I'm a roaster I always need a strong partner at origin so I think that's like the most important thing to build yeah sure um, for quality control but also for traceability, sustainability and so on and then there is a price for that and you have to pay it it's I mean we see market is at the lowest like yeah, 90 no, yeah it's crazy And then I was traveling and then someone said like... And we were like, yeah, but then now it's great because we give you the same money every year. And then the person said, yeah, but I'm getting calls from people that are in specialty and they want to push me down because of that. So, I mean, it's a big market with a lot of players, a lot of people taking big volumes. Specialty starts at 80 points. And so... The word specialty doesn't mean you're in that space where you're trying to improve things. So I think, I don't know. What, is, well, well,
1: well, what does specialty mean for you now? Because for me, I don't know anymore. I think it's confusing. I think the, the, the boundaries of specialty, whether that is traceability in trading or, or quality and taste, I yeah. think it's, it's getting blurred. I don't think, Yeah. I think five years ago, or when I started with coffee, it was a lot clearer.
0: Yeah what it is now what, yeah. what does it mean to you I, um, I don't know I think the term is now widely being used um, and the first time I was kind of like um, thinking was when, when I read in some paper that like 60% or 80% in the US is specialty and I was like is that true that's not what I taste and then it's like oh yeah it's 80 points okay, okay. so then there's a lot of specialty yeah sure I feel the discussion yesterday was interesting, especially from uh, the social media um, editing person, Mel, mail tra- travel, she talked about uh, how can you check quality if you walk into a shop, how do you know it's 90%, 90 points, how do you know like 20 or 25 euros is justified for that bag, and at the end of the day, you're building a, a trusting relationship, all along the value chain and so that same relationship happens between your customer and yourself and you just need to be very transparent and clear about who you are but then you also need to deliver that yeah. I feel very strongly about that if someone says i this and this i this and then it's kind of like it's not there and then I don't have time to go into that scenario and judge it's not my job but yeah. I feel motivated to be even clearer about what I do so people can read me and sure. they don't have to like what I do but at least it's very clear what it is and then they can build brand loyalty and they tr- can trust me yeah, because I live on that that's my basis and everything else I would find really boring because there's so many ways of making a lot more money yes I just need to be an influencer. Has, has, that, been, <laughs> has
1: that been a challenge in the process of, of, you know, seeing the barn grow? Because, you know, as, as you grow, opportunities come in various forms and kinds, whether that is more money or more shops or bigger roastery or whatever that might be. Is it, um, has that ever been, been, been challenging? Has there been things you've been kind of wanting to kind of jump on? Or has you, have you always had this kind of very clear path? throughout the whole process. I mean, it's been been several years in the making. It's a long
0: time. Yes, yeah. I don't know. I feel the hardest is to start delegating and then expect people around you to think like you because yes. they're not you. They are, they are often very good-hearted. They, they're passionate. Um, but, you know, you need to... You, need to you, you not only need to be good at doing latte art and pulling a good shot you also need to be really good at customer service sure. and build a community and be, be friendly and so on so the whole hospitality aspect is something we are training a lot at the moment I feel very strongly about training the people that work with me yeah. um, and not all of them last but you kind of like give something into the industry in that sense and we also get trained people joining us and so it's give and take but like at least when they are with me I want them to to evolve and to learn and Berlin is not easy in that sense there's a lot of distractions so we have to be strict yeah. and say like look this is training time you have to come well, I don't care if your friends are in town Sure. so that you know a cafe is always like easy going and so on da so a lot of sometimes people apply and they say oh it's so easy at your shop I want to join and like actually to make it look easy is a lot of work so you need to be really disciplined you know you need to be on time take a shower before you come to work and stuff like that you know so um, I feel um, building building a great team that are taking your thoughts and like pass it on in their own way I think is really important to me. And so I'm probably not the most motivating person in the industry. I'm very strict and I'm very focused on detail. And I think everybody that um, um, knows me and takes a moment to look at me understands that I'm always on the subject in um, being very clear about how I want it and where I want it to be. And then people see that it's a dedication to the product or to the process. And it's never... Personal, it's I want this coffee to be great. So, we there's so much work going into that, starting at farm level and then the roasting work, and then presenting it well to the person that pays for it. I think is like there's a minimum that I expect from people to to do that. And there are a lot of people that are great at that, you just need to find them.
1: Yeah, sure, sure. I think that's. The the at least from from what I've seen from the barn during my time in, in Berlin and I mean I remember we, we always tried your coffee uh, back at Demonteo Christian I remember yeah. when you guys started with my and and from Rwanda and then you know and I think one of the 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 key things that I've always been really appreciating is that there is a clear there is a clear identity in it and and I personally appreciate companies. Or, or to some, to some extent, identify quality in the company with. I mean, if I if I go into the roastery in, in Mitte, and if I also know you, that I, I I see how it fits. Yeah. Where right? you see that the the company is a representation of the owner, right? Yeah. And I think it's important also from from a staff perspective, from a business perspective, from the whole kind of thing where, uh, you and and I did not realize this two years ago this is a kind of I started a company and now I realize this you, you start a company to, to do company in your way right whatever way that is right you're not there to necessarily cater for other people whether that is staff or, or the market you do it and, and you justify it because there's a lot of work as well and you do it so you can get your version of it yeah so then you get a lot more respect for it as well and I think it's interesting, especially with, with the barn, because to be fair, there's a lot of great companies in Berlin now that is a result of your old staff. <laughs> yeah. There is a lot of them.
0: Right? Yes, yeah, some coffee shops. Which I think is, is yeah.
1: uh, I mean, that's an evidence that something that you do really works, right? Whether yeah. they, they want it or not, because they end up taking the next step. Yeah. And I think that's the, especially from a barista perspective, that is the biggest challenge we have in the industry where there's not enough of uh, the right people to kind of move forward yeah. to do things and to grow the industry in the right way. Yeah. And I think if you're, as, as a company, can have their. I often look at April as wanting it to have the role to, you know, because people are never going to stay forever. Staff don't. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah. You know, we, we both started a company because we were not happy with, with something else. Yeah, I do um, have a huge impact
0: on. The company you work for. Exactly. No, that's, a,
1: that's a part of it. So you, uh, but you want to give the people an opportunity to, to go forward as well, right? After the time that you are right? Yeah. Okay. What has been, what has been the the shittiest, the most difficult part with starting a company? During the years, was there ever times where it was like, I don't want, like this is too much. I don't want this. I no. want to walk away.
0: No. And truly um, yeah. I think it's like having children or watching children it's like when it's your own you just love them and whatever and sure. then I always felt like really tired when I went to bed but I was always kind of happy yeah. it's true it's not just like you know it, I never had a moment I had, um, maybe, the hardest moment was when I opened the roastery for many reasons. One was roasting, as I mentioned, but the other one is also the concept I wanted for the front. It was very puristic and very reduced. And so, having no sugar and having no soy milk and no filter coffee with milk and stuff like that, that became more, we always had no filter coffee uh, with milk but it was more visible there when it was like a long rubber and we said, like, this is black and then this is white, so you need to tell us before. And then I learned in that phase that we just need to get better at communicating, and the most important person is this server, really with two, three sentences, finding out what do they want and or can I suggest something different, and then guide them and be really clear about the options. And so that's, I think, probably where a lot of people should invest more and ourselves as well, even more focus because when a customer is unhappy, it's not the customer's fault, it's my fault. Yes, I didn't understand what they wanted, and maybe I don't have what they want, it should go somewhere else. And I need to tell them that yeah. in a nice way. So, and I don't want to be arrogant, yeah, I just want to say, that. Look, we decided to have full fat milk from happy cows, yeah, um, yeah. Or do you want black or white? Black? Really? Really black? No, a special milk? Okay, we do a long black, but we only do it with hot milk. Is that okay? It's okay. And then I can't say no. They yeah. agreed on the deal. Yeah. And so then it's all about communication and doing it in an, in an easy way and hospitality is a skill set. It's highly skilled reading people and understanding humans, how they're walking in it. And surprisingly often... I can convince the older generation in a couple like mother and daughter the mother is a lot more open to try a filter from Kenya oh, yes. and yeah. the daughter wants the flat white because everybody has it and she yeah. doesn't know what it is yeah. it yeah. tastes good yeah. so that's really cool also looking at other ages I think like we completely overlook older people they want to be cool they, are, they want to try something new, and they really enjoy handcrafted. At Kranzler, we have the highest grade of hand-brewed filter coffees. Oh, yeah? Okay. A lot of people are coming to Kranzler because they've been there in the 50s or 60s and had their first girlfriend, and they had hand-brewed coffees there. Yeah. That's how they... They were no espresso machines when Transla started in 1833, 32. And so... We only have two V60s and uh, they're selling... That's, they don't get that anywhere else and they're happy to wait for that. So I think, you know, if we are looking for new markets, um, of course, creative people, and hipsters and so on, you know, they start usually moving into new neighborhoods and, and artists making it more interesting and then another level another level and then suddenly it's like um, completely... Um, uh, gentrified yeah. but um, I think like old people are like Andrea's mother is in an old people's home and she needs partners to play with her at the table games uh-huh. and she always has someone that wants to play with her because she's having coffee with, that smells good okay. from Ethiopia and it's not like shitty coffee from Kaisers, there's like burnt chocolate and it's good for the stomach because not burned it's like really good and they you know they come and she was like oh give me more coffee yeah. so I think like um, quality goes through all ages and all social areas definitely yeah mm-hmm. let's uh, switch
1: switch gear a tiny bit I wanna I know very little about you I know a lot more about the company well, what is your what, what's your your background kind of gr- growing up uh, when, when, how old were you when you actually started the barn? Old. old. Too old like, to talk fair about. It. Fair enough. But how, how <laughs> did you,
0: yeah, what, what were you up to before you yeah. ended up starting the barn? Yeah. So I'm coming from the countryside near Probert. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, we call the lower Rhine area. It's near uh-huh. Holland. Yeah. Düsseldorf is the next biggest town. So that's very countryside. So yeah, my mother's from Berlin. So I feel like I'm a returner. (laughs) Um, But they sent the children away after the war. There was no food and her mother died in the war and then she ended up in the countryside where she met my father, who was a postman. So, and then five children. I'm number four. Uh, My little sister is here today to help me at the coffee festival. Oh, nice. I make her run. (laughs) She's always my little sister. So I'm pushing her. Um, and um, yeah so there's like a lot of cooking uh, at home a lot of baking and stuff like that so big family open house I always felt my mother was like a host uh, in a way so um, yeah but also kind of like because she was busy uh, working and then looking after us blah 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 she was kind of like very kind of kind of strict as well so and then later in the barn, I realized, yeah, it's true. Like when people come to me at home, I ask them to put, take off their shoes and then they can do whatever. So there are like certain rules of engagement, but then there's also a lot of attention. Yeah. So I feel, especially nowadays, I think respect is a very important word. Sure. And um, also um, not forgetting how to interact with other humans that are actually in front of you. Um, because we are all, like, drifting into the digital world and people find it really hard um, to have a dialogue with yeah. a human. Uh, They'd rather a text, it's easier. Um, and so um, I feel also to, um, to move around in a certain manner is something I got really strongly in my childhood. And, um, you know, to be friendly, but also to respect, you know, this is a church. Uh, This is a school, um, this is a cafe. So whenever we had got a treat from our parents and we went to a restaurant to eat, we had to behave. And so that's how I grew up and I fail. It's also very important to pass on certain um, social rules um, to the new generation because they don't know they're innocent. and long
1: prologue (laughs) (laughs) did you did you uh, what was the bar the first company you ever started yeah yeah Yeah. was it when when did you realize because there's there's one thing starting with coffee working with coffee and there's a totally different thing starting a company yes two very different things right Yeah. yeah going because uh, that basically means that you went pretty uh, directly on to starting a company right you didn't have a huge period in coffee before you yes went yeah. to starting a company zero yeah. Yeah. and what was the like where did that kind of drive come from yeah why did you actually
0: start a company yeah I think um, after school I started working in finance yeah. so I've um, I always analyzed companies and I evaluated risks and stuff like and financed them. Um, and uh, not in investment banking, a lot of people say that it's not true I've heard that as well yeah, yeah. no I've just been yeah. like um, uh, you know, more of a classic um, corporate finance kind of like really seeing what's yeah um, and and that and I moved cities a lot, like every two years it felt like I got a new job because like around, I lived in Asia and, and in the UK, yeah. it was my last stage, and um, I always learned from people, you know, I always had like a mentor, someone that I was drawn to, and then I worked really hard for do, them. Do you
1: have a mentor today coffee as well?
0: Yeah, I always felt the people that helped me yeah. were there like mentors, mm. yeah, like James and Tim and... Everyone, um, Klaus Thompson, everybody that did something, and maybe they're not aware, aware of it, but I felt like they were teaching me. Sure. They were sharing what they learned very openly. Um, and I felt also doing that with people outside my own market is the easiest way, you know. And um, I think that explains also why the bond was so international right from the beginning people thought we are like a foreign company and sure. because of the name and people working there are foreign and so on but you know it's also I felt I can learn more from people that are more advanced and there was no one in my own market where I felt I could look up to because it was not developed at all, the others were a lot earlier and more focused yeah, but after leaving my finance time I had a period in London where I went Just to come back to your question, to where I was for five years, I didn't have a regular job. Yeah, you know, I went to drama school and um, and did acting in the UK. Okay. Yeah. And then what pushed me to Berlin was a bit this. Of course, I got only stereotypical work in the UK. So stupid Germans or Nazis, (laughs) and I felt if I come to Berlin, it's more interesting. Uh, profile and I lost That's interest. True. I found it really boring here. So, and then um, you know that was like 2006. Between 2006 and 2008, I moved back and forth between Berlin and and London and tried okay. to make both work. Sure. And then um, I met Andreas, my boyfriend, who now works with me. Mm-hmm. And um, um, and and then uh, we had the financial crisis in the UK. I had a flat. I was able to sell it just before the market collapsed. Okay. So I had a little bit of saving to get start here. and But I felt so free at that point. I couldn't go back. I actually tried to go back into like a regular job for yeah. three months. That was in 2007, and I failed. I couldn't put on a shirt from the dry cleaning. I got rushes. That's how I felt like you push like a donkey into like a racing box like that and um, it was yeah I needed I was kind of like I was running out of my f- kind of savings I felt like okay I need a proper job let's do something with communication and financial markets let's do and, and maybe scarcity of resources so I have like some meaning in my job so I applied for a job at a, a mining company Oh well. Um, and that was horrible. It was really, really horrible. And the funny thing is the day I wanted to walk in to hand in my notice, they fired me oh, It was amazing. So I got a little redundancy payment on right.
1: that. Sure, sure, <laughs> you want that here. Of course, I, I remember that yeah, yeah.
0: So that's um, and the, I, I felt like like whatever like comes now, it you know. It's probably if I have to start a company on my own so it felt okay. natural sure. uh, to gravitate towards something I can um, control
1: amazing what's the uh, la- last question kind of uh, what's, the, what's the future yeah so, uh, you, again we're, we're sitting here on the, on the floor on the what's to become the next the bar and coffee shop but what, uh, do, do you have any plans longer than this or, mm. or are you just looking a few weeks ahead yeah
0: I just go with the flow and see what comes I think there's so much I feel I can build in, ta- in farm relationships I want to get um, improve my roasting workflow I just changed over my roast team um, I'm still looking for a production roaster but the head of roasting is a guy that I start falling in love with he's like really really strong work ethics and a cool guy called Jasper um, and I really want to push it to the, to the next level. I think we need to do a lot more systematic green grading, um, see how the beans are aging while we have them, um, to be a lot more specific on different profiling, on different batch sizes. I will move the roastery in the next 12 months. I know oh, yes. that because yes. we have capacity issues where we are right now. And we also get a new building next door, that probably has penthouses at the top. So we know, like in the next eighteen months, um, this will be difficult. To keep will out. be difficult. So we will keep the front end cafe, but we will um, look for a new space to um, reset um, the packing, the warehousing, and everything. So hopefully, um, we we don't know where we are, like. Looking right now, so if anybody has a building that is listening, <laughs> yeah. call me, but that will happen, so that will be um, a project that 's coming up that will cost some time. yeah, I think um, there's plenty no? lots to do yeah, yeah.
1: sure one, one last thing that I actually just thought about um, one of the things I remember from from living in, in, uh, in Berlin, and you mentioned you had it yesterday as well. You do a lot of events, as in educational events, for the community. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Is that, has that always been very important for you, to yes. share your knowledge with, with both the industry and, and the people in Berlin? Yes.
0: Yeah. I think I we did that from the beginning. We had free cuppings. Yeah. The moment I started, even though the little one yeah. had more no space, I feel sharing knowledge is you built the market. The market didn't exist and so if you want to grow it and and, and then you have to do it with um, education sharing and community building yeah. so I feel like the coffee festival I'm so happy that Philip decided to do the satellite program it's very unique and it gets people out into all the coffee shops in Berlin yeah. and then have the main market is kind of like a, again a community market in, in Schoengratzberg sure. yeah. I feel bringing people to Berlin that um, industry leaders is really important so they can share and we are looking beyond um, what we are doing like get fresh impulse from outside for people to see them uh, so I hope a lot of people are doing that but others are doing that you know, yeah. bringing people like Rao here and Tim Wendelbo and things like that I think it's like we need um, also the, the rock stars, you know, that are attractive for people to come and then talk about. And then, sure. interestingly, the last event we did with Sasha, um, there was not so much attendance from the coffee community. Okay. We, he gave two super interesting workshops, a long talk and like an opportunity to go up and close. But a lot of people from the neighborhood and from oh. other businesses and I felt like this was the first time it was less people I know already and I felt it spreading more. Yeah. I found it super interesting. Yeah. That was good.
1: Yeah, things are changing. Very good. Yeah. That's a great way to wrap up I think as well. Thank you very much sure. for your time. I'm yeah. excited to go back to Berlin and, and
0: try the coffee here in the new shop. Okay, yeah. Super. Thanks very much. <laughs> Thank you.
1: From us here at April, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thank you.